0: Welcome to the Everyday Innovator Podcast for Product Managers, Leaders, and Innovators. Your host is Chad McAllister, helping you become a product master. Listen and get ready for higher performance, for the doctor is in.
1: Hi, this is Chad, and this is where product leaders and managers make their move to product masters, and you can too, and I hope that's why you listen. We need practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so that we can create products that customers love. Performing at your best requires a lot of mental dexterity. Product managers need every edge we can get. We need that to beat the competition, to create successful products. And to be at your best, you must also consider your health. It's something I need to be much more conscious about and started thinking more about. And our guest, medical doctor Gus Vickery, he's the go-to person for all of this. He is an expert at getting your body and mind performing well. And his book, Authentic Health, provides the actions we can all take. I heard him speak and I really wanted to get him on our show to help us as product managers really optimize our health so we can perform better in every area. And he also goes further beyond his book, helping individuals hack their health for even greater performance. We'll talk about that a little bit at the end of the interview. Optimize your health and use it to your advantage as a product manager and, of course, in every other aspect of your life. Now, if you hear something that you want to look into more later, first check out the notes that I take for you. You'll find those at com slash 230. Now, time to get healthy. Dr. Vickery, thank you for sharing time with us, the Everyday Innovator community. Thank you, Chad. It's an honor to be with you and your audience. I appreciate that. So you're a medical doctor. So we'll call you Gus, your first name as we talk here. But you provided this book that my wife has devoured, and I've had a pleasure looking through too, with a very descriptive title. So Authentic Health, that gets everyone's attention. And then the subtitle, The Definitive Guide to Losing Weight, Feeling Better, Mastering Stress, Sleeping Well Every Night, and Enjoying a Sense of Purpose. And I read that and go, well, who doesn't want those things, right? So I'm excited to talk with you about that, because health isn't a topic that we have addressed before on this podcast. I've been doing it for three years now, each week. But it's a really critical one for us, and I'm gaining a better appreciation for how my health impacts my mental capacity. I know everyday innovators want to perform their best, and health should be an aspect of that. So give us the background story here. How did this book come about? What led to this?
2: Great. Thanks for the opportunity. I uh, work as a family physician and started clinics 14 years ago after uh, graduating through my residency program and had in my mind this sort of you know storybook vision of what it means to be a family doctor, uh, taking care of people, sewing them up, helping splint broken bones, you know, occasionally maybe making a diagnosis that was important for the person. But I had no idea that what I was really going to be walking into was this, that w- where I was catching things right in the development of a epidemic of poor health oh. that has developed in our country and And instead of trying to help people find solutions to problems that are somewhat acute, I found myself really fairly buried under a quagmire of chronic diseases. And these were things I had been taught about in school, but I had not in medical school and residency, but I hadn't really understood to the extent that it was affecting our population, not until you get out and start working every single day in your own clinic. Do you see that? And it's not just the diseases or the diagnosis. It was the way people were feeling. Uh, they would come in and they did not feel good. And these were people, sometimes often 30 years old, 40 years old, 50 years old, people who should feel good, whose right. body should work for them. And I realized that the toolbox I had been given, which was mostly prescription therapy or referrals, wasn't really working effectively and that there had to be something more going on because, you know, when you look at human design, when you look at the mind and the body of a human being, you have to either, one, if you look at st- statistics, you have to assume either, one, we're very frail creatures, we're poorly designed, okay. not suited to life on Earth, and just designed to be sick by a certain age and not feel good, or we are actually designed quite well, which there are strong arguments for, that, are, that the potential within a human being is uh, pretty amazing and that something has changed. About our health. And I knew that if I was gonna be an effective physician, if I was gonna help my patients experience good health, if I was gonna help prevent disease rather than just put band-aids on it, I had to dig deeper. So I did, and I began to study the things I write about in the book in in great detail. And I would try to present the, not try, I would present these topics to my patients when they came in with new diagnoses or not feeling well, and say, hey, there could be these solutions, and this medication might help you in the meantime, but it's not going to fix the problem. Hmm. And what I found was that they were interested and that they wanted to feel good. Surprise, right, that people actually do desire to feel well and will Potentially take the actions necessary to feel well, mm-hmm. and um, but I realized that as I gave them references, that because their lives are very busy, it was challenging to them for them to go try and read books about the topics that I was presenting to them, and that what they wanted from me was to perhaps put it together for them. So I give them a guide. Yeah. So I said about it, and I, you know, I originally envisioned it as maybe a hundred and fifty page PDF where I summarized these topics, uh, but it turned into a meteor book. Uh, so I could uh, be more comprehensive, yet at the same time keep it as simple as I thought I possibly could, uh-huh. so that it was easily digestible by my my average patient. And that's and so I wrote that book. Yep,
1: I appreciate you giving the background story there, and that I think many of us do have the sense that okay, we can take the prescription medication, the pill, feel better for a while, even if it's ibuprofen for a headache or something, and. But it seems like our bodies have a capacity to really heal themselves if they're given the capability to do so. That we were designed with that, with that put together. So the book is so useful. I tend to, c- to categorize information just help me keep track of it in different ways. And my wife has devoured this book. She really was so much looking forward to me doing this interview with you because I think she's a kindred spirit now, just through your book. She's a nurse and she has been associated. With seeing as her primary care physician a functional medicine m d and so I kind of put your work through this book in that category, but you never use that term in the book, and I was just curious about that about does that functional medicine connection kind of fit or not
2: it does. I, I kind of put myself in the middle of the categories. I do study functional medicine, and anybody who's familiar with functional medicine—if they read my book—they'll pick up on that. Um, and I, I do understand a lot of the protocols that you can go pretty deep with functional medicine, it healing the brain, dealing with gut issues. But w- the my community that I live in, most people have a form of health insurance, and oftentimes the cost of that product through their employer and their own pay, uh, their own uh, money. Has probably left them with very uh, with not a whole lot of extra money to spend on healthcare. Uh-huh. And in order to serve my community, I need our clinics that uh, I started to actually be able to work with their insurance products. I don't like that <laughs> because it binds me up in bureaucracy and red tape, uh, costs a lot of money, creates headaches. But nonetheless, that's what that's the main access ticket our patients have uh-huh. for healthcare. So when we do that, we have to be somewhat traditional uh-huh. because there are protocols, et cetera. And we need to follow those. At the same time, we know that when people come in with chronic concerns, whether it might be whether it's their sleep, their gut, pain, even diagnoses like diabetes, that if we can get to the root cause and, and help them fix that, that they could, their body will heal itself. And that's functional medicine, uh-huh. uh, honoring the body's function, getting to the root causes. So I'm tr- I, I've kind of found a middle ground because I think that about 90% of the patients who I'm seeing who may have gut disturbance or neurotransmitter disturbance, et cetera, et cetera, I think that their bodies will heal themselves with just the basics, huh. with what I've written into that book. That they don't necessarily have to go and do all the other testing that can happen in a functional medicine clinic, that more than likely with just the right information being restored to the body and minimizing some of the wrong information, it will heal itself, and that's all that they need. So it's kind of like, I guess, a, a holistic health model. Um, Even that brings a lot of connotations into people's mind. They have these pictures of a lot of woo-woo stuff going on, and I'm not opposed to the woo-woo stuff. But for the most part, I'm just helping people coax their bodies back into health. Uh So I know that was a complex answer to an easy question. But when people think of functional medicine, sometimes they think of extensive tests for toxicity Uh and doing intensive hormonal analyses. And yes, I can help people get that data if we need to. But most of my patients with the simple fixes find their body right, you know, promptly restoring a good feeling for them and, and resolving these issues.
1: Yeah. And that's encouraging. And so we should dive into some of those simple fixes. Yeah. And just by the way, I appreciate the medical doctor background too, right? Yeah. As my wife got interested in functional medicine and we've looked for a functional medicine practitioner, it's actually really difficult to find one who's an MD. And we just feel that provides a better holistic perspective. If you're going to figure out how to get the body to care for itself better and heal for itself, we'd like that grounding.
2: I appreciate that. When I look back at all my training, what what I think was strongest about medical school was the super, the, just the intensive deep dive we did into how the body works, uh-huh. uh, and and all those layers of study that at the time you thought, why am I studying the? You know, when you when you take that and then you get to add in a lot of clinic experience, seeing real people that are with diverse backgrounds, diverse social circumstances, diverse exposures and genetics, and you each day you work through with those people trying to find solutions. I think you take that experience, and then you put it on that type of education. And physicians, we really are so well-equipped to be the best at helping with restoring health and optimizing health, but we've gotten stuck on just reactively managing disease. Mm
1: -hmm. Yeah, great. So let's dive in now to really the subtitle elements of your book and see how we can help me help my listeners with these areas, right? You know, not feeling our best, too much stress, not enough sleep, perhaps a little overweight, which is true in my case, something I am working on because my last blood tests were not very good. So that was added motivation for me. So if we can work on some tips in each of those areas to really help us work towards authentic health. Since I mentioned overweight, let's start there. I suspect I'm not the only one here dealing with this. What can we do about this problem?
2: Well, it won't just be your suspicions. If you look at statistics, you know you're not the only one dealing with this problem. Um, You know, the first thing is to understand the truth about what causes us to be chronically overweight. There's a lot of mythological understandings about this. And there's also, uh, you know, a lot of uh, limited views about. The, the actual nature of the problem and how you fix the problem. And, I, and a big thrust in my book is on this particular category. The hardest chapter in the book is chapter three, where I describe human metabolism and what causes weight gain and weight loss. And it's the one with the most science and kind of bogs people down. We, our bodies have a genetic baseline healthy weight for us and that's give or take five or ten pounds Uh and typically our body wants to stay around that weight and you could be an an endomorph a mesomorph or an ectomorph meaning you could be genetically heavier genetically thin or genetically in the middle and that has a a human survival benefit that we have these different subtypes so the first thing is your baseline weight is a genetically determined metric it's not really up to your conscious choice Uh, and a lot of people who are genetically heavier struggle with this because they Think of the idea of healthy weight as you have six pack abs. You know they they have all these ideas in their mind that we've created. You know that we've created as a modern view of what it means to be a healthy weight and look good, and that's just not true for them. would be a, right. they, they're fighting their own body to maintain that. So genetics are a big driver of it, and for the most part, short periods of overeating or undereating, your body will just promptly restore back to baseline weight. We tend to think, oh, gosh, we went on vacation, and I came right. home seven pounds heavier. And boy, I, I, your body doesn't gain seven pounds of fat in a week. And a lot of that's just extra fluids. You, know, you, you, take, you eat more salt. You eat more starch. You, you have more stuff in your colon. Uh, and then you, you, know, you spend a few days eating lean, and suddenly you're four pounds lighter. And people right. think of that as weight. It is weight loss and weight gain, but it's not fat loss and fat gain. And so understanding, one, your body has a program, and it wants to go there. But if you've been consistently overweight for a long period of time, you've forced your body to write a new program for what it thinks is your healthy weight, well, then it's going to want to stay there because it believes it's the best operating program uh-huh. because it's, it's homeostatically adjusted to this new weight. So you find yourself perhaps 20 or 30 pounds heavy, heavier than you should be. A lot of that might be what we call visceral fat, uh-huh. which pooches you out from the inside, makes you thicker. And it's also associated with suboptimal blood work elevated blood sugars, triglycerides, perhaps fatty liver, elevated blood pressures, inflammation. It depends on how deep the rabbit hole you go down of, of checking your blood work. And the key is that you, what you want to get rid of is that visceral fat uh-huh. because that's the disease causing tissue. The good news is, is your body does want to get rid of it too. Your body doesn't like that tissue. It's making you unhealthy. It's sapping your energy. But at the same time, the visceral fat is, it's not cancer. I want to be very clear, but it's kind of like a cancer. It grows itself to its own advantage at the expense of the body. So when you begin to just simply go on a reflexive low-calorie diet and start joining the gym and trying to force your body to lose that weight, you'll lose some of it because you create a negative energy balance. But very quickly, you'll find yourself rebounding back mm-hmm. and blaming yourself for it. Yeah, it's like a so rubber that,
1: band. You, know, you stretch it so far and it seems to snap back.
2: That's right. That's your, that is the area of your brain called the hypothalamus that regulates all these autonomic functions trying to take you back to where it believes you need to be for your health's sake. Um, it turns out though that now we're regulating to an unhealthy level. So in order to to stop being overweight successfully in a sustainable way, you have to simply give your body back the information that reprograms it for healthy weight. And that I'm gonna make that very simple right now, but it's more complex than it's it's simple but not easy, so to speak. One is we are not designed to overeat or eat all the time. Huh. If you want to lose weight, clearly you have to stop overeating. If you're overeating, you also have to stop eating all the time. If you, if the from the time you start your day until the time you go to bed if the window of time where you're putting something into your body that has a caloric effect on your body no matter how small no matter how light it is if that window is greater than 12 hours you're feeding too frequently and you're sending the wrong signal to your body because our bodies are designed to be in fasting states more than in fed states fasting states are where we use the energy that we have on our body and it's designed to do that if you're not balancing feeding and fasting And having adequate fasting periods where you're not snacking and putting calories into your body and stop overeating, you'll never lose the weight long term. It has to be done. The other element of eating behavior, we're going to talk about sleep and stress in a moment because those influence it as well. But of eating behavior is the food choices. Because there are certain foods that I call the food equivalent of cigarettes, and that's not hyperbole, right? I'm not just trying to rouse a response from people. They are the processed foods, the junk foods, and the fast foods that are full of salt and full of unhealthy fats and hydrogenated oils and added sugars and MSG. They take over our central nervous system cause us to overeat. We can't help it. We think we have willpower. We do have willpower, but not once we were exposed to those food elements. And they directly create inflammatory responses in our body. Our body does not know what to do with that food and the inflammation causes weight gain. So you must eliminate nutritional stressors, bad food from your diet, not 100%, but perhaps 80% of the time if you want to lose weight. And And then the final bit is just mindfulness, which sounds kind of boring, but it's actually slowing down And really understanding what food is for you and taking time to eat and chew your food thoroughly and be really intentional about what nutrition is for you. And if you can become mindful about the construct of what food is for you, how it's supposed to serve you and not harm you, balance feeding and fasting and replace nutritional stressors with natural whole foods Uh without even going on a diet, you will lose the weight. But if you try to do it any other way, you will not have long-term success.
1: So I've been working on the mindfulness aspect of this a little bit. So my weakness is ice cream. And I usually like ice cream at night, you know, after dinner, which is probably the worst time to be eating anything. And the other night I indulged, I was doing so well for the last couple of months. Then I said, I'm going to have some ice cream. And the mindfulness part of that was recognizing, yes, I'm enjoying the eating this and the taste sensation. But afterwards I really feel like crud that, you know, I'm not putting fuel in my body and it was just a really good reminder, like, I want to be putting fuel feel my body, not something that actually zaps my energy, makes me feel crummy.
2: Yeah. And and uh, if you've read the book, then you know there's a whole chapter about how to deal with craving, how to anticipate it, and how to exit the craving loop, which is all mindfulness. Because when you're be- becoming mindful, you're basically we're talking about a level of consciousness that's okay. very powerful that differentiates us as human beings. But if you're not using and accessing that level of consciousness, then you become a product of your own precondition programs yep. and and then all you're going to do is what you've always done before and the combination of sugar and cream and with that texture is a very powerful pre-existing program like your brain will go for this for me <laughs> yeah yeah and then there's the uh the mindfulness also includes knowing okay it's gonna come i'm gonna have this happen and there are substitutions i can do things i can do that will give my my brain a bit of dopamine or a bit of serotonin which will actually preempt how, mm-hmm. how strong that urge is. And then there's step downs. You can move from ice cream, and there's a brand out there, Halo Top, and right. they make it via. And it's not quite as good, but you can step to that. And then you can step to the next level, which might be just some organic whole cream with some berries. Mm-hmm. You, know, you just keep making slow progress. And a year from now, all of a sudden, you don't even have an evening snack except maybe twice a week. And then it's no problem for you. Yeah, that's good advice.
0: I'm interrupting the interview to share something really important. We'll get back to the discussion in just a minute, but I want you to know about an extraordinary system called the Rapid Product Mastery, or RPM Experience. In just nine weeks, you can have a higher-performing product team meeting only 75 minutes a week with no travel required. One product leader, after trying all the typical training workshops, turned to the RPM Experience to get real change for his team. He said that this is the only training that provides an integrated product management perspective. It did exactly what I needed it to do. If you have a group of five to 14 product professionals, learn how you too can have a high performing team in just nine weeks, 75 minutes a week without travel. This is the system created by Chad based on his experience working as a product leader, coaching several organizations and deeply studying innovation during his PhD work. Get the guide for yourself at theeverydayinnovator.com slash RPM.
1: The other thing you said in there that was interesting was this minimum window of 12 hours of not eating, you know, being in a fasting state without any caloric intake. So, for example, both my wife and I, we have this habit of having a tiny little piece of dark chocolate, like around nine o'clock at night, Mm -hmm. which would definitely be violating a 12 hour fast. If we're having dinner, you know, finishing by seven or so, and then breakfast the next morning by, you know, what might be eight or so, but we're in that window.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: Tell us more about this 12 hour fast thing.
2: Right. So the body, our body is an energetic system. It's pretty amazing. And it's a somewhat closed design, meaning it's designed to go for a while without having to put more energy into it and function for you. And if you think about it from an ancestral standpoint, it makes perfect sense. We didn't have way to store food, uh-huh. uh, the way we do now, we didn't have access to food the way we do now. And there were going to be periods of feasting and there's going to be periods of low, you know, low food availability. And so our bodies are engineered and designed to manage Uh, that circumstance. That's the, that's the thousands, if not tens of thousands of years of human being, human beings adapting. And now we have this 120 year, really a hundred year period of this food abundance model where where, where we're dealing with now. So, you know, if you, your body has something called metabolic flexibility, which is that when you, Aren't eating when you're not putting energy in, your cells will just switch energy sources. They'll just switch it very quickly. They go from stored glucose to stored glucose to fatty acids to ketone bodies, and they'll just continue to cycle through these systems without geeking you out, making you hangry. You know, become going into a brain fog or any other such thing because it would have never suited our survival if within if we didn't eat within six hours. <laughs> if we were too emotional <laughs> to take care of business or right. something, you know, I mean that's obviously not consistent with and design and the great thing about you know you only there's only one way to restore flexible metabolic flexibility is to force the body to re uh, to upregulate those functions they're there they're just dormant they're not being used and that takes time but it also takes enduring some discomfort the discomfort of hunger Mm -hmm. and the only way that you can really learn to do that is if you go through fasting periods but one of the easiest ways to leverage or or to develop that is to leverage your sleeping period as part of your fasting period because you're you know unless you've sort of some people wake up and they need to eat and they have this massive hormonal hunger surge, but that's not most, and even that's fixable. But if you can take that evening, if you can give yourself a 12-hour window Uh where you're not putting energy into your body and your insulin levels lower and other hormonal signalers that allow for the release of stored energy are upregulated, then you're going to give your body a chance to start redeveloping that metabolic flexibility that will help you manage your hunger and manage your cravings and manage your energy throughout the day. And if you don't do that, then you're sending a signal to your body of staying in a storage mode, of continuing right. to hold on to fat, to continue to hold on to store nutrients. And then you're going to wake up really hungry, as opposed to once you develop this, you wake up and you're not even hungry. You're like, oh, I could go a few more hours without eating. So that, like for you and your wife, I think if that's a substitute for the ice cream, that's a great first step. right? If you've moved from a bowl of ice cream to a tiny piece of higher percent organic cacao, dark chocolate. 72%. Yeah, which has some good <laughs> nutrients for you. In there, cacao is an antioxidant; has polyphenols. That's a great first step. Now, your next step is now okay. Let's have that dark chocolate shortly after dinner, and then we're done. Right? That's yeah. your next move, so you can have that twelve-hour window. And optimally, people would move to occasionally being able to do fourteen or sixteen-hour windows. And that's, the, yeah, I'm sure you've seen that mm-hmm. in my book. I'm a big advocate of that.
1: Mm-hmm. Yep, intermittent fasting. Good. Yeah. That's a really concrete tip and a good reminder for me to be working in that direction. So, yeah. Appreciate that. Let's move on to sleep. You know, there was a time in my career where I kind of got the signals from the people I was working with, and I think others, that, you know, there was almost something heroic about sleeping maybe five hours a night. And thankfully, this has come up a lot more in the last couple of years, a lot more people are talking about the importance of sleep, and that we need more than probably five hours. How do we go about getting the
2: sleep we need? Why is this so important? Okay, yeah, this, one's, this one is critical. You can do everything else I'm talking about and be in a sleep deprived state and it'll all still fall apart for you. You can eat. You can do all the dietary things I just suggested to lose weight. And if you're not getting enough sleep, you could still not lose any weight. Right. And it's it's one that people are just not accounting for. I think we're becoming more aware because there's a lot of pop culture stuff out there, which I think is great about sleep. I'm a doctor. You know what my profession thinks about the heroics of not sleeping. You know, it's it's not a, a great paradigm to have come out of. Our brains are genetically designed to have a certain period of rest and recovery from the work they're doing for us. Huh. They're never really turning off. Your brain has to continue to regulate your pulse rate, your body temperature, your heart rate, take all kinds of hormonal responses at night while you're sleeping. And there are also uh, it's also consolidating memories and pruning synapses that you no longer need and building new synapses in areas where it anticipates need. Now, if you run a factory that produces a complex product and that factory runs 24 hours a day, seven days a week, and never stops to service the, the, the equipment, to, uh, you know, to clean things up, to take the garbage out, you can get the idea what's going to happen to that factory. And so if that factory, if you only, if it needs you to stop six weeks a year for a restoration, but you only stop two, you're just going to, you're going to have the same problem. It's just going to take a little longer to get there. Uh-huh. Your brain is like that. It essentially has to, has to, there is no negotiating this, have a adequate window of time, to do all the work it needs to do so it can restore its function for you. And if it doesn't get that, it will start to break down on you. And it will also send the signals to the rest of your body that there's a problem. And the, your body will, will pick up on that and you'll have higher stress responses and higher levels of stress hormones, which will then create distraction for you. you know, you, There's no way to perform at the level that a human being is capable of performing or live the longest, healthiest lifespan that you would like to live if you don't give your body adequate sleep in that case is well made, it, it's just, you, you have to honor it. You have to get past whatever beliefs you have about, Oh, I'm fine on five or six hours. Mm-hmm. Almost everybody needs seven to eight hours. Almost everybody. There's a small percent of people who actually don't, but that's a small percent. So it's probably not you or most of your listeners. It, the, the other aspect, though, is not just that seven to eight, it's what kind of quality of sleep are you getting? And we know this if you're looking at technology and try or very stimulating content and try to shut down and go to bed, you will not enter into the deep sleep cycles that your body needs to perform the very uh, functions I just discussed. Huh. So you'll get sleep, but you will not get a restored brain. And nowadays, you can track that. There are great devices and you can find out am I getting deep? Delta wave sleep, or am I not? Because if you're not, you're going to become deficient in particular hormones like growth hormone, and you're just not going to end up being able to perform the way you need to. The great on the flip side of this, rather than, okay, everybody, you got to sleep, you know, the whole lecture, you gotta sleep and you gotta get the eight out. the flip side is when you finally prioritize it and you do this the same way with nutrition and everything, when you begin to honor the body's design. What you experience more than any other thing I teach, this is what people tell me. They don't say it exactly like this, but this is what they're saying. When I finally prioritized and honored my body and mind's need for sleep, I found a superpower in with me that I did not know existed. Hmm. And they never go back again because they're like the level of energy I have, my level of daily performance is so through the roof compared to what it once was. I'll never trade that back again.
1: Yeah. And I think that's the story that I've been hearing more from. You know, even founders in Silicon Valley recognizing this that will say, you know, for me to perform at my best in leading this company, I need eight hours of sleep a night because yes. that's when I'm at my best for the company. As opposed to, you know, maybe, you know, before dot com days, what I was hearing was, you know, you no, know, you work through the night and you get more done, right? And it's a very different. I'm glad to yes. see that change going yes.
2: on. Okay. It's absolutely changing. Yes.
1: Real quick, how do you feel about afternoon naps? The three o'clock is about my slow period, right? Where I really mm-hmm. slow down a lot. And I either reach for a cup of coffee and I've been experimenting and normally my schedule doesn't allow for it, but now I can set my timer on my iPhone for 23 minutes. I know I'll get about a 20 minute nap in and I wake up and going, wow, I'm ready to go. I feel completely different when I can do yeah. that.
2: I'm a big fan. You, you know, I, I think I'm not a, you know, coffee and caffeine. I'm not one of those right. that just like don't ever do it. But I do know that caffeine after a certain point in the afternoon, depending on your genetics could potentially interfere with your sleep, even if you feel like you're sleeping. Instead, what, when you feel that fatigue, that's your brain saying, I need a rest. You know, it'd be like if you were working a machine that you involved bicep curls mm-hmm. all the time and your biceps started creeping up on you. If you say, hey, I need some fluids, I need some salt, I need some rest. Well, that's your brain saying it's time to stop for a moment. Give me a recharge. And a short power nap is a perfect way of doing that. And you set your alarm just like you have, you give yourself a 20 or 30 minute window. Yes, you'll first, you'll feel your mind moving around. You say, well, what, what's going on here? This is a waste of my time. It's not. You're, it's okay to just let your thoughts wander. And eventually, as you know, you'll start to feel kind of sleepy. And then you'll get into the pre-sleep state. And then right about the time you're like, ooh, I could stay here for a while, you'll, the alarm will go off. Uh-huh. And then you'll have to exit and you'll feel briefly like, mm, I'm not, oh, I'd rather keep sleeping. But that's okay. Because as soon as you clear the fog, as soon as your brain pops right back up into a beta state, you're like, wow. Pretty good. Right. And it's no different than how you just plugged your your phone into the wall for a 30 minute reboot when it was about to run out of battery. Uh-huh. And now your brain's ready to go perform for you. You can't use NAPS as a substitute for not getting enough sleep on a sustained basis. They absolutely can be used to help you through a brief period of sleep deprivation. They can absolutely be used as a performance enhancer to get yourself recharged and push through the rest of your day and evening. Um, but you would if you're there is no substitute for still getting adequate, consistent uh-huh. sleep.
1: Yeah. Yeah. Good. Okay. Thanks for making that point. And that leads us to stress. And the sleep issue covers a lot of the stress, but what else can we do to manage stress better?
2: Yeah. So first is mindfulness. You have to be aware that stress is there. It's impacting you. Uh, You you develop a baseline level of coping or ability, and you also just develop a baseline level of how you feel each day. And then if you're uh, probably, if you're an innovator, if you're somebody who's trying to build things, then you learn how to interpret that as, hey, I'm okay. That's what happens is we form an interpretation of our current experience as, oh, I'm doing okay. I feel okay because you keep pushing through and you can't, but you're, but you're working off of a, a, you know, a, a limited bit of resources for your mind and body. And then as you restore those, you begin to be like, wow, I had no idea that I was that tired. I'm actually supercharged now. So with stress, You know, if you're not mindful about it, you're just going to get assaulted in our time. We are dealing with an epidemic of chronic perceived uncontrolled stress that's coming at us whether we're exposing ourselves or not. Table news is one of the worst sources for it. A lot of social media is a a pretty significant source for it. The fact that our phones are pinging and we have email lists and text messages and people out there getting upset if they're not getting a fast response from us, plus demanding jobs. All of this is way exceeding what our ancestral minds were designed for. Our ancestral minds were designed to buck up for seasons of sprinting, harvest and hunting and gathering and occasionally perhaps battle or whatever it was, but then to also have long periods of recovery and rest. Uh And and then at the same time, day-to-day life was still stressful, but we weren't waking up and then first thing zapping our brain with, Uh, a concentrated form of artificial light and finding out that somewhere across the world that millions of people were in peril and all all these reports that have nothing to do with what we're going to do today that begin to trigger responses in our brain. And when you trigger a stress response, you automatically, based on your brain's design, will inhibit your higher mind function, your neocortex, because the stress response is a Fear, it's a threat response. It's a fight, flight, or freeze response, and it's automatic. It's a it's a hardwired program deep in your brain that will override you because it believes now survival is a, an issue. And when you turn off your neocortex, you turn off executive functions. Mm-hmm. So your working memory declines. Your ability to thoughtfully think through something declines. Your ability to think creatively and bihemispherically declines. It sabotages everything an innovator is about. Exactly. Your brain. Yeah, your brain performance is nowhere close to where it could be. So you recognize, you say, okay, what do I do about it? Well, begin to take control of the stressors you can. Don't expose yourself to news you don't need to hear, or at least not at the first part of your day. You know, if, you, if you're a news junkie and you need to know what's going on in the world, sign up for one of those feeds that'll give you the basic headlines, compartmentalize 20 or 30 minutes of your day and go do that. I'd prefer for you to, to deal with your addiction to news. Uh, I tell the story in my book of one patient who did that and reversed three chronic diseases with that one changed alone. Um, you know, give your bot brain a break from technology. Get into your focus zone for periods of time. Read Deep Work by Cal Newport if you need some information about how the brain works and what it means to do deep okay. work. But be very mindful about it and be very mindful about how you feel. If you detect in your mind or your body Right? In your body, muscle tightness, headache, perspiration, heart beating faster, respiratory rate going up. Stop and assess it because that's a that is a stress response and say, wait a second, why am I feeling this way? I'm just I'm just here working in my workflow. My, my family's OK. I've got not gotten any news that means survival. You know, stop and look at it and use the power of your higher mind. To diffuse that, to mm-hmm. reinterpret and say, wait a second, there's no reason to be stressed and uptight. Shake out your body, take a few deep breaths, yep. drink some water, and restore a calm, relaxed state. Because if the body is sending a signal to stress to the brain, even if you're not emotionally stressed, you will become stressed from that. And then at the same time, if you're feeling emotional stress, irritability, impatience, fear... Anxiety, melancholy that's inappropriate, stop it. don't get lost in those feelings. The next thing you know you're lashing out or doing things or having a drink or eating a donut or whatever, stop and examine them and okay. say, "Wait a second, where's this coming from? And as you do that and as you observe them without emotion, false false input or falsely interpreted input. Will lose its power. Uh-huh. It'll disappear. And all you have to do is is you take the energy away from the negative stress thought loops. Uh oh, I'm in trouble. Or there's this. Or I'm mad at so and so. Or I'm people don't know what I'm going through and they won't help me out. Or whatever it is, whatever you know, false negative mantra you're getting stuck in. You take that energy and you feed. Positive emotions, well-being by digging yourself, you know, really digging into a state of gratitude, a state of joy, a state, you know, thinking about everything that's good today. Mm -hmm. And and people think of this as woo-woo, but you're literally reprogramming your brain. And when you do this, you become the master of your thoughts, feelings, and emotions. You're no longer controlled based on stimuli that you don't even know is going on. And I know that that was a, a lot in a very short kind of period. This We could unpack this for a long time. But the bottom line is that as you become mindful about stress and how it impacts you, and you begin to use your breath, your posture, hydration, and your thoughts to take control of it, you will have a much better exist, a much better experience of day-to-day life, and you will stop the negative impact of stress on your health.
1: Yeah. And there was a lot there. And we'll point listeners and anyone interested in this to your book, Authentic Health by Dr. Gus Victory. To get details in that, a recurring theme that kind of went through all those three about you know losing weight and sleeping better and removing stress is this mindfulness aspect. Just being aware of what your body is telling you and how do you interpret that and how are you interpreting things around you. And a simple exercise that we've done, we've done with our kids too, um, is to take time to just reflect on what you're thankful for. You know, Let's get out of the state of being concerned about everything going on around us. We have so much to be thankful for. And just remembering some specifics, you know, in each part of our day is really helpful.
2: Mm-hmm.
1: So I appreciate all that information. So that covers kind of the big points of the book that any of us can do. There's another area that you dive into just in the work that you do that my wife has introduced me to. some through her pursuit of functional medicine. And that's going into really details on a specific person doing blood analysis, maybe hormone genetic analysis. Can you talk through that a little bit, what that looks like, why we do that?
2: Yeah, I, I love this area of health care. Unfortunately for most people, their current insurance models and payment systems are not covering this level of care. They don't feel that it's necessary. There's evidence to it. So you kind of have to go off the grid if this is what you want. But I, I recognize that many of my patients, they wanted this. Uh-huh. They wanted greater. They wanted more data so they could better understand their bodies. And they wanted help, help in interpreting it and knowing what they could do. Because our genetics are so different. They're very similar, meaning, you know, 99.5 or 99.7% of the human genome is identical. You know, we all have livers and kidneys and hearts and minds and all of that. And so there's a lot of the, the common principles. The thing I teach in the book applies to everyone. It doesn't matter who you are. That's that's the basic honoring of human design and allowing you, giving your body and mind the right information. But that 0.3% differential is an enormous differential that has a lot to do with where we, what kind of, where we grew up, what continent, what kind of exposures, because our bodies were really really genetically adapted to thrive and, and optimize our health in that context and so if you are a person who needed less vitamin d perhaps so you then you might have you might not have the same genetics for vitamin d absorption synthesis and transportation and in which case in our modern era you're probably going to be vitamin d deficient that's going to negatively impact your health and there are genetics for b12 and something called glutathione synthesis and the list goes on and on Um, there's genetic that people hide from the gene for alzheimer's uh, because they think that that's an Alzheimer's gene where it's not, it's a glipid transport protein, hmm. but it, it is present in 25% of our population to, to either one, you know, there's a single allele or double allele. And if you actually know you have it, there is a evidence-based uh, construct context uh, that you can apply to certain key you know, data points hmm. that can prevent you from ever developing Alzheimer's whatsoever, if you have this. And if you don't know you have it and you don't have this data, then you probably, there's a, you know, if you have one allele, you're 30% likely to progress to Alzheimer's. Yeah. And yeah. so that data is really important, those variances. And so if you can get a better biochemical Uh, um, you know, uh, data set and understand your specific blueprint. That involves just a few key genetic, what we call SNPs, and then you look at not just your lipids, but what we call lipid particle counts, which are looking at how your body is distributing lipids and using them, rather than just trying to arbitrarily choose cholesterol as a as a metric that indicates health. And then markers of inflammation and oxidation, more intensive nutrient markers such as your omega three status and B twelve status, et cetera. And then you can also look at your hormone status, gonadal hormone hormones, adrenal hormones, uh, um, growth hormone. And there's other data pieces, metabolic functions like insulin and hemoglobin A1C and free fatty acids. You can take all that data and put it together and you really now know how your body's performing for you. And one of the most common examples would be somebody who struggled with being overweight and their, their overall biometric assessments have usually looked okay, maybe a borderline blood sugar, but they can't lose weight and they don't feel good. And then we get that data set and what they realize is they have they have nutrient deficiencies, significant ones, elevated levels of chronic inflammation and oxidative stress, meaning the body is overburdened and not performing well. They have high insulin and also elevated leptin, which is a protein that regulates body fat mass. And suddenly they're like, oh my gosh, this is what's going on.
1: Uh-huh. This is why
2: I can't figure this puzzle out. But once you have that data, then there is a clear pathway for you to reset your body. So it can restore normal function for you. And it works every time, every single time. I have case study after case study. People replace the nutrient deficiencies. We optimize their diet around their metabolic functions and lipid functions. We restore hormonal balance if that's needed, often naturally without even having to use like hormone replacement. Sometimes we do. And we watch what happens every few months. And at the end of one year or two years, depending on how long it's been going on, they're like, wow, without really... Trying, meaning I didn't have to go on a low calorie diet. I didn't have to go join CrossFit. I didn't have, you know, by just simply doing the simple things and giving my body the information it needed, I have a full restoration of health and I feel great. And what that's worth to people, that's that's probably, you know, one their daily experience is so much better, and they're no longer guessing. At what's going on? They know what's going on, and they have the clear roadmap to fix it. Uh, instead of trying to buy program after program online that they hope will solve, you know, answer their pain uh-huh. points with health, uh, they're not all bad programs. But you know, you might be picking the one that's not going to work for you. There's a good chance you will. But they're also potentially, depending on how long their life is going to be, the health span, the quality right. of those years that they're. I mean, that's. Priceless,
1: Yeah. And how many pharmaceuticals we might avoid oh, yeah. because we get this fixed. And my father had late stage Alzheimer's for four years. You know, so this is on my mind too, right? Because there's some hereditary mm-hmm. issues associated mm-hmm. with it. And getting, frankly, I have avoided looking at the genetic markers. Because I wasn't sure I wanted to know. Now, I'm kind of at the point where, like, I really need that motivation to mm-hmm. make some corrections if I need to. And just other corrections in my body as well, because I do want to live as long as I can healthily for my kids and my family.
2: Yeah. I. We, what I've learned in this business is that people want to feel good. Mm-hmm. But when you when 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 you put before them a low value proposition of health, when it's just about oh I should eat healthier and I ought to exercise and oh, my cholesterol, that's just not motivating enough for people. It's not intrinsically inspiring enough for people to take action. Mm-hmm. They either have to get to the point where they're so low that they have no choice but to take action, and that's not where we want to go. But what I'm trying to do is say if you understood what your body is designed, how it's designed, how much potential it has, what it could be giving you, if you could just enter into and virtually experience that for a brief period of time, you would look at every one of the habits that's keeping you back as as just as trash. It's something that has no value to you and that you'd be gladly trade in for this new experience. It's challenging. It requires a process. You have to baby step, climb the mountain, step uh-huh. by step, forgive yourself, not blame yourself. But it's amazing. And, and this thing with Alzheimer's right now, it's increasing. This epidemic, I mean, 27% of people have at least one allele for the APOE4 gene. And that means okay. that 27% of the population is at risk. 25% of them have a 30% risk. If And that, and we think that's going to keep increasing based on exposures, poor food, lack of understanding. And if you have a double 40, then you're at 50% risk. It's a coin flip of whether you get Alzheimer's or okay. not. Yet. If you know it, and then you know these other data points I'm talking about, and you honor the needs of that genetic type, there's a good chance that you would never experience Alzheimer's
1: right. yeah. yeah. and what we're talking about, because I'm familiar with this some through my wife, right It's a blood test, get a mapping of you specifically, right the, some of the indicators that you talk through. And then it's, okay, what does your body need that you're not getting now? What kind of nutrition changes can we make in how you eat? Maybe some supplements that you need to make Mm -hmm. changes. That's what we're talking about, right?
2: Yeah, that's correct. And actually, I'm just going to go ahead and do everybody a favor. I'm going to tell you based on my experience that everybody out there needs to be taking an omega-3 supplement. Mm. They do. Every, everybody I have tested, even healthy eaters, is omega-3 deficient. And you're not going to hurt yourself with omega-3 fatty acids unless you buy poor quality ones. And virtually everybody I test has multiple other nutrient deficiencies. So a high-quality, high-quality, bioavailable multivitamin to okay. give you back trace minerals and adequate, you know, that and a omega-3. Everybody I test needs that.
1: Okay. That's good to know. And if for people that want to dive into this more, you do provide a virtual service to help with this. Mm -hmm. Can you just describe that real quick and tell us where to go to find out more information? And again, this is, we've had the same thing since my wife sees a functional medicine MD. Mm -hmm. We pay out of pocket for these services, but we find it really valuable to do so. And we're talking about the same thing because insurance doesn't cover these things right now.
2: That's correct, yes. Yeah, I, so my, I have a service that's called Personalized Health. That's one term. Precision medicine is another term you'll hear about this type of care. And I I'd offer it to my own patients here in town. Most of my patients are local patients, and they're my primary care patients, but they, they want this. Uh, patients have worked with me virtually, uh, and uh, they sign up for the program. If, they, if they're interested in one information, they can go to drgusvickery.com forward slash personalized dash health. They can also just go to com and click on the personalized health tab. And it explains what we do and how we do it. And it has a form if they're interested. It already has the cost on there. So you know if it's in in, in your wheelhouse or not in terms of cost. Some people see the cost and they're like, ah. But if, if you look at the amount of data I'm collecting, it's pretty expensive data. Uh-huh. Uh, it's not a, a, a cheap data set. Uh, and, uh, and included is also a urinary neurotransmitter screen. So we identify the balance of dopamine and serotonin and GABA in the brain. So it can, by, re-supporting, by supporting balancing your neurotransmitters, people cognitively feel better. Their mood is better. They have less anxiety. They sleep better. And, you know, so there's a lot of really interesting pieces of data to help beyond just the metabolic stuff. And then we set up a Zoom session, a sort of a HIPAA secure Zoom session, and yeah. meet for about an hour and a half, sometimes two hours, because I'm just into this work. I don't Mm -hmm. really, I'm I'm just want to learn about that person and help that person where we digest that data together. And I teach you what it means for you. And then at the end of that, I write up a health plan for you, which is a narrative of what the data meant, what it's telling us and how we're going to fix it, including specific Uh, recommendations regarding the supplements we'll use and what type of eating approach I want you to use. And what I I do individualize it, meaning I I, I take your current habit matrix, which you've reported to me in advance, Uh so I can help you begin to shape it in the direction we need to go. I'm not going to just say, oh, okay, so you like to eat eight times a day, you know, 5,000 calories, and it's all cheeseburgers and say, why don't we do whole 30 for your next 30 days? That's not how we're going to work. We're going to work on taking what you're doing and figuring out what are the what are the negotiable items right now that would be easy for you. And let's go with that. And then if we need two, three or four months, let's collect some more data and then let's, you know, let's, let's talk it over and see where we're getting. So you get, that's what we do.
1: Excellent. And again, that's drdrgusvickery.com. Let's click on the personalized healthcare link at the top to find out more information about that. Really appreciate all the information. Something I definitely want to be looking into more to because, you know, the relatively minor costs of tackling this now Versus the huge implications of later health issues, in my mind, you know, it's Alzheimer's. Having seen my dad go through that, right, and at least doing what I can to minimize risk for me and my family is uh, certainly personally motivating. Big picture for innovators: the better our bodies perform, the better our minds perform, the better jobs that we can do on innovation product work. Innovators also know that I love quotes. I asked you to bring one. What is that quote, and why did you choose it?
2: Yeah, this is a quote by Harriet Beecher Stowe, and she was actually speaking about Abraham Lincoln. And I love quotes. I, I think they're so inspirational. But this one I really like. Uh it, it's it, it's a long quote, so stay with me. Surrounded by all sorts of conflicting claims, by traitors, by half-hearted, timid men, by border statesmen and free statesmen, by radical abolitionists and conservatives, he has listened to all, weighed the words of all waited, observed, yielded now here and now there, but in the main kept one inflexible, honest purpose and drawn the national ship through. Huh. And in my area, I try to innovate in healthcare, one for individuals to help them get the data they need to get healthier. And then for those who can't afford programs to write it up into my blogs and many books. So I can keep telling the people the truth about their health so that they can experience their best health. Um, secondly, I innovate in healthcare delivery. I'm constantly trying to help our office, which is independent, develop programs and services that keep it about the patient and not about the bureaucracies. And when you're in healthcare and you're trying to stay independent and you are dealing with not a list of abolitionists and conservatives and border states statesmen free, but you are dealing with the, the competing dem- uh, uh, agendas of insurance companies and broker, you get the idea. Uh And you have to, as you do that, you have to stay patient. You have to observe, you have to listen, you have to compromise here and there, but you have to keep your mind on exactly what is the goal. What are you here to do? And you have to stick with it. And I think if Abraham Lincoln could have done what he did in those circumstances with what was at stake, Uh then I can keep, I can keep doing it in healthcare.
1: Being pressured on all sides and still moving forward, trying to have better health outcomes for patients. So I appreciate how you apply that to the work that you're doing. One more time for people that want to find your website, more information about your personalized healthcare service, and also the book that we've been talking about. How can
2: we do that? DrGhostVickery.com. Everything is there. Or if you want to purchase the book through an online resource, it's available through Amazon, Barnes & Noble, and all other online book vendors.
1: Okay, Authentic Health by Dr. Gus Vickery. Gus, thank you so much for your time. Really appreciate the information. We need to be thinking about how we can be uh, maintaining our weight properly, getting better sleep, dealing with stress, and overall improving our health. So great
2: insights. Thank you, Chad. Thanks for the work you're doing, helping us innovators all improve our skills.
1: Thanks again for listening to The Everyday Innovator. This is where product leaders and managers, that's you and me, we make our move to product master, learning practical knowledge that leads to more influence and confidence so you'll create products customers love. Check out those notes that I took for you during this interview with Dr. Gus Vickery. You'll find them at theeverydayinnovator.com slash 230. Keep
0: innovating. Thank you for listening to The Everyday Innovator which teaches product managers to become product masters. For more resources, please visit TheEverydayInnovator.com.